This is Not Quite Dead, a gal pal horror movie discussion podcast. We do deep dives on our favorite scary movies, but sometimes we really just like to keep it shallow. I'm your host, Kate. I'm Megan. Get ready for all the spoilers. Dayo. <laughs> I mean, that's how the movie starts. <laughs> uh, this movie is so good, and I was surprised/slash not surprised that this was Tim Burton's second movie after Frankenweenie, right? After um, Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Oh, Pee Wee, that's right. Frankenweenie was a short. Yes. So this for for feature length, yeah, this was his second. Wow. Pee-wee. Did you watch Pee-wee? Yes, I did. Okay. So he was still around. This was before his uh public masturbation phase then. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so I will say that my parents watched Pee-wee and so I definitely watched it because of them. I think post adult movie public masturbation. But I don't think I knew. <laughs> I don't think I was given the full context. Man, Beetlejuice is good. I was like, I don't know if I actually need to rewatch this. I, I know this movie so well. And uh, I was like, fuck it. I want to rewatch it. I love rewatching <laughs> this movie. It makes me laugh every time I watch it. Michael Keaton, he's amazing. Michael Keaton in this movie is the best. I can't get over how good he is in this movie. I was really glad to have rewatched it. Same as you. I've seen this movie a million times. I watched the animated Beetlejuice cartoon in the 90s. Yes, me too. <laughs> it was so cute. <laughs> yeah, I liked how they were friends. The whole world of Beetlejuice is such a good Tim Burton experience. And it feels, it feels very Tim Burton, but also feels... A little more fun, a little more silly than maybe some of his later movies. It also feels a little more straight. I mean, it's weird. It's got a lot of weird yeah. shit in it, but it feels like compared to Nightmare Before Christmas, Corpse Bride, Edward Scissorhands, these are all very weird movies. And mm -hmm. uh, this feels like because of where the Maitlands live, it's, it's in Connecticut, there's a real big straight part of the movie, right? Uh, that isn't weird. Like a thread that is like, these are normal people. Exactly. I, 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 in my notes, was thinking of it as the normie element in this movie. And I yes. think that more so than like any other movie is this normie element up against these really bizarre, artsy, gothic elements <laughs> from both <laughs> the Dietzes, but then also this ghostly plane of existence I was thinking about his other movies and I was thinking about like okay there's kind of that like normie versus goth element in Edward Scissorhands but they really play it up because it's almost this like kind of retro 50s stuck yeah. in time suburbia so it's not quite normie it's just, it's still kind of fantastical yeah very normie bizarre Yes. Whereas this, I'm like, oh, uh, the Maitlands are just people you would have met in the 80s. They're like your parents' friends in the 80s. 
Exactly. Your parents' cool, childless friends that build models. Yeah. (laughs) You'd be like, they're kind of weird, but also they're kind of (laughs) cool. They're like me. They take their vacations at home, staycations. We should get a quick summary. I just want to talk about this movie. Yes. Quick summary. The... Maitlands, Adam and Barbara Maitland, played by Alec Baldwin and Gina Davis, have an untimely death. They don't realize that they're dead until a new family moves into their house. This new family is composed of a man and his second wife and his daughter from his first marriage. They're all kinds of city people (laughs) coming in. And so the Maitlands need to figure out how they can try and perform a bio-exorcism on their house to get rid of these human intruders into their space. And so this involves going to a kind of ghostly version of the DMV (laughs) and ultimately enlisting the help of total huckster Beetlejuice to try and get rid of these people. I think you and I both had the exact same reaction to the start of this movie, which is that it's really unsettling how early in the morning it is when the movie starts. Yes, I could not get over that Adam and Barbara are both up, dressed, and wearing shoes in their own house at 6.45 in the morning. (laughs) Kate, I wear shoes in my house, just so you know. But not at 6.45 in the morning. 6.45 in the morning, I'm still in bed playing on my phone. These guys are fully dressed and showered. Yeah, and and doing stuff. Yes, they, they like go to his little shop to go pick up more modeling supplies. It's too early for any of this shit. What are you guys doing? I I was like, is this just what people did was they just woke up super early because they had no internet like then? So they just got up and did things? (laughs) I don't know. What time did they really wake up? Okay, so 6.45, they're dressed, they've got shoes. They are getting prepared for their staycation. I'm imagining Mm -hmm. they're showered. I'm imagining they got up maybe at 6 a.m. or for – Barb, maybe 545, right, to do her hair or makeup or something. But that's so early, Kate. It's so early, especially on a staycation day. Not only that, but their nosy neighbor stops oh by, God. too. Everybody's up early in this town. The old man is at the barber shop when they go visit his little shop. Yeah, and then they're annoying... Well, it's like her relative, right? She's a realtor and wants to sell their house because they don't have children to fill it with. (laughs) She's like up and at them to come over and be rude to them first thing in the morning. Yeah, the the opening of them getting up, doing stuff around their house, getting accosted by this realtor, and then going into town and you realize that it's not even like 7 a.m. I was like, what is happening? (laughs) I don't think I ever realized that, even though I've seen this movie like a million times. Yeah. I I hadn't ever thought of it either until I became an adult, right? This movie, I saw it as a kid, and the adult stuff just would go over my head. It took me a while to even realize they were dead. Like, the movie was just so weird to me, (laughs) and uh, I got more and more jokes and more and more, like, subtleties as I got older, and that was one of them. I was just like, who is up that early? But anyway... I think that there is a lot of like unsettling things in this movie that when, yeah, that when you're a kid, you just are immersed in the weirdness of it. I remember just thinking that 
this is something I totally want to get into with you later is the house and how the house looks at the beginning of the movie versus how the house looks at the middle and the end of the movie. Things like that. I just like scrambled my little kid brain. Yes. I want to talk about the production design. It's so good. Okay. Which house do you like better? The original house or the Dietz's house? I do like the original house better. Okay. I mean, I think I do too, like to live in it, but- um, To live in, yeah. Looking at the Dietz's house is pretty fucking amazing. Like, I love the sun patio that they built. I would totally Mm -hmm. want one of those today. (laughs) The sun patio is so like surreal and cool. I mean, it feels like an, I mean, because she's an artist, it feels like an art exhibit and is- as an adult looking at it, you're like, oh, wow, she's like a really impressive visual artist. As a kid, you're like, this is a crazy woman doing <laughs> crazy, crazy things to this house. <laughs> I know her art is also crazy. I also like her floor, her floor tile. It looks like you're going to fall through like it's full of holes. And that was always mm-hmm. so fucking unsettling to me. I would love to visit it. I would love if there was like a Beetlejuice museum? spot, museum, something pop up where you could go like walk through yes. this very disorienting style house because I would not want to live in it. I mean, their original house is like so floral and so like grandma style. It's a dream house. It's beautiful. It's great. And it's all wood. It's yeah. It is so nice. Yeah. It's very cozy. Yeah. And in the new version of the house, after uh, Delia does her her makeover with her, her interior designer friend, I'm just like, oh, nothing in this house looks comfortable to sit on. No, that looks like the <laughs> most uncomfortable house like in the world. It's, it, everything is angular and dark and pristine looking in a way. It's like pristine mm-hmm. grimness. I, I don't know how else to put it. It's very... Um, German Expressionist. Is there a movie that we've seen together that some of the set pieces reminded you of, Kate? Ooh, uh, The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, perhaps? I I kept trying to put my finger on it. I was like, this looks like something I've seen before and not just this movie because I've seen it a million times. I loved how when we were watching The the Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, which if you guys haven't watched it, you should definitely go take some time to go watch it because – it's so obviously influential on so many yes. filmmakers, especially Tim Burton, like yeah. especially early Tim Burton, because you have very unusual kind of surreal like shapes even that are like taking place in that movie. You can see like kind of a one to one to like early Tim Burton. And then, of course, like he grows from that style. But like so many filmmakers have been inspired by it. I mean, David Lynch was another one. So it is interesting to see it to have watched that movie with you last year and then rewatch Beetlejuice this year. Delia also just looks amazing. I mean, her art is cool, but like her clothing choices, the way she does her hair, her makeup. I really like her as a character. She's also out of place in this quaint little Connecticut town. I love her as an adult. As a child, I thought that she was yes. impossible. Yes. It was like. Who is letting this woman run wild? This doesn't make any sense. As an adult, I'm like, well, you shouldn't have married an art wife. Like, if you didn't want an art house, don't marry an art wife. (laughs) I have come across so many articles in support of Delia. I think it's like all people our age that are now grown up and realizing, oh, hey, she wasn't so bad. Exactly. It's like, 
yeah, she's a woman that you met in the city. She has all of her art friends. She's a visual artist. Of course, she's going to want to completely gut this beautiful house and make it her own. What were you thinking? Just let her stay in the city. Oh, my gosh. I know. And with her, with Otho trailing behind her, they're mm-hmm. like spray painting inside the house. You know it's going to be madness. I, I'm glad that Jeffrey Jones's character was able to protect the study, keep some remnant from the original house. I think that... In the movie, we were supposed to think that Lydia didn't get along with Delia because Delia is maybe a little bit head in the clouds or pretentious or something. For this episode, I couldn't help but think like, why are Lydia and Delia not like BFFs? (laughs) I know. You know, they don't get into fights as much as I would have expected, like because of the relationship, right? The classic stepdaughter stepmother relationship they clearly don't see eye to eye but they don't get into screaming matches they aren't really truly rude to each other they're just sort of like not interested in what the other one is doing and I was like that it could be a lot worse for Lydia that's true there's a lot of like mutual eye rolling at the other yeah I just thought you know Lydia is the iconic goth girl she likes to dress also like a kooky urban hipster artist <laughs> she loves photography I was like you guys have so much to yeah. bond over yeah Delia's creepy statues I mean that's all in that realm of things they have in common yeah it is a weird relationship that they have do you have a favorite look from the movie because I do Ooh, favorite look I do love the Lydia red wedding dress oh yeah and her spiky bangs. <laughs> so cool. I, yeah, I love Super that too. Cool. Yeah. I loved um, Delia's look at the dinner party with her hair kind of like plastered and wiggles at her temples. And then mm-hmm. the back of her head was like this Star Wars, what's her name? Ray. Oh, yeah. Ray with the like triple buns. Yeah. You know, Delia has little triple ponytails it's super cool looking I love that style yeah Delia's got some really good looks and I feel like when I think about Tim Burton's style for his live action I feel like he puts a lot of care into costuming Mm -hmm. and just to show like how kooky these people are I mean I love Delia in one of the scenes she's wearing this like head wrap but then you look at it and it's actually like a pair of leather yes paint (laughs) They went to a thrift shop in West Hollywood and got all the stuff for her costumes there in like a day. Oh, amazing. Isn't that crazy? Oh my gosh, I love that. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Speaking of costuming, I really liked the story of how Michael Keaton came up with a lot of the look for Beetlejuice. Yeah. Can you believe that he had to be convinced to do this? Like he said no like three times before he said yes. Can you imagine? It really sounds to me like he had to sit with this character and figure out like, okay, there's words on a page. And like, this seems like kind of actually impossible. It makes me like so much more impressed with actors Mm -hmm. when I think about receiving just words on a page and like not having the direction of um you're basically a dead used car salesman (laughs) like (laughs) like you're not given that direction it's it's just kind of up to you to build that character and so eventually Michael Keaton says 
this is what I want to look like. This is what I want my hair to look like. This is how I want my makeup and my clothes. And like, this is the energy I'm going to bring to this role. And Tim Burton, I, I don't know if he has a reputation as a control freak or not director, but he's so tight with his style Mm -hmm. that I feel like he would be, but that's total speculation. But the fact that Michael Keaton got to come to set and be like, this is Beetlejuice and Tim Burton was like, yes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I was reading about how Michael Keaton got to ad lib a lot. That character is him. Like I, I really think that Beetlejuice belongs to Michael Keaton more than Tim Burton in a way. I love the mold in his hair, the how gross his teeth look. I love how rude he is. He's so crass. He's a great character. Thank you, Michael Keaton. Yes. Uh, it's so fun. I think that Michael, I mean, the movie's named Beetlejuice, but I think that Michael Keaton as Beetlejuice is just an all-star, greatest of all time performances. Yeah. It's so fun. And there's no other performance like it. Like there's nothing else like it. No. If they reboot this, I'll riot. I don't think Tim Burton would let them. I think that if they were going to reboot it, Tim Burton would have to reboot it himself. And I don't think he would do that. (laughs) No, they've talked about doing a sequel for so long and then COVID hit and what little plans they had, you know, got derailed even more. So I don't think it's going to happen. Although I know Michael Keaton is down. I think that the only way they could do a sequel is if Michael Keaton was on board. I think that he's... I mean, obviously having like a little second renaissance with his career right now. Same with Winona Ryder, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, she's been in a lot more recently. So it would be really cool, but I don't think we need it. I don't know. I I don't want to be like too selfish and then get spoiled. (laughs) Well, I mean, we had the cartoon show and I think that was enough. Yeah. I always (laughs) worry about tainting a franchise. If the sequel doesn't hold up to the original, it, it kind of taints it a little bit, I think. Look at Saw. <laughs> Look at how people feel about Saw. <laughs> I mean, I feel like it would just be a nostalgia fest for people totally. who love this movie. But this movie is so good and holds up so well that you can just rewatch this movie. <laughs> oh, I know. I know. Totally. I mean, the iconic scene of the Maitlands trying to haunt the <laughs> dinner party by having them lip sync <laughs> the silliest song. <laughs> Their efforts are so goofy. In one scene, they chop off Adam's head. In another scene, they're wearing really ugly $300 sheets. I, Kate, I wouldn't <laughs> pay $300 for sheets today. This is crazy. No, no, crazy, (laughs) crazy town. Yeah. And then they, you know, do this dinner scene. It's just absurd. I think it's funny your reaction to the to the ghost sheets. I think that the ghost sheets are so cute because (laughs) it's just these people who know about ghosts (laughs) and they're like, what do we have around here? They're just I mean, because they can't leave. They're just like looking around their house and like everything has flowers on it. And so they're like, I guess we're going to use the sheets that we have. <laughs> I I think it's adorable. I think the whole beginning sequence of them figuring out that they're ghosts and like figuring out how to be ghosts is great. I I love I love that whole whole bit. I love the joke that the two of them basically can't read 
And by can't read, I don't mean like they're illiterate, but they are just like hopeless with this manual. Like they can't figure it out. It's too hard. (laughs) (laughs) And they just, this is like what causes a lot of their problems after they're dead. (laughs) Yeah, I love that book. I I wish we could get a copy of it. The book is so good. And I just love the, the design. It feels like one of those like 1950s manuals for boys. <laughs> yes. What to do when you're dead. It's so cute. I love it. When they're figuring out that they're ghosts, they go through these steps. I think that are really cool because I can imagine if you're dead and you feel corporeal to yourself and you're in your house, it would take you something you know it would take something happening to you or you doing something to figure out that something has gone wrong like they notice that they don't have a reflection (laughs) oh my gosh Kate I have to talk to you about that before you go on any further I was so curious how they did this because you don't see her hand holding the horse right I still don't get how they did this but I looked it up and maybe you can walk (laughs) me through how it works what they did was they took the fireplace, they pulled the glass, the mirror glass, like, up and turned it around and faced it into the actual set. So the characters were on the opposite side of the set, and you're looking into the set. Oh, I see. So... I could not wrap my head around this. <laughs> it's like a two-way glass. So, like, one side of the glass is yeah. not reflective. Right, yeah. right. That's very clever. I mean, practical effects like that are super cool. If someone told me that I needed to figure out how to shoot something with no reflection, I'd be like, we have computers for that. Yeah. (laughs) Most of the effects in this movie are done in camera. There's some obvious ones that aren't right, like the stop motion items, but they had a low budget. So they had to do a lot of the effects just on the fly, on set, in the camera itself. Even Alec Baldwin's head being chopped off is in camera oh I love that and it's so cool oh my gosh I was obsessed with the sequences when they go down into the miniatures where Beetlejuice is living yes I have this like compulsive obsession to like touch the foamy grass yeah and I don't know I just like as a child I remember being like obsessed with like ooh, what is that tactile like feel yeah like I need to I want to like bite it I want I want to do something with it (laughs) (laughs) I know I really wanted to go and like dig up Beetlejuice with them it it looked so fun did you notice that the the words on the cardboard they're digging up are like really huge It was a little, I would call it a mistake. You can read the words on the cardboard as they're pulling it up. But if they were really were that small, the cardboard words would be very, very big and illegible. Oh, I see what you're saying. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I do see what you're (laughs) saying. I like that they were able to weave miniatures into the character of, you know, Adam, Alec Baldwin's character, Mm -hmm. that he builds these. And so there's like a good excuse to have miniatures in this movie. The use of them, like, especially with Beetlejuice just, like, trolling around this, like, miniature version of their town is so funny. It is funny. I wish we could see more of that, honestly. So they die, and they don't know how to deal with it. They don't know how to deal with the fact that they're stuck in this house with these people that are completely opposite of them. 
And then when they finally do get some help, it's basically like going to the DMV to get some help, which is awful. I love that when they get there, everyone's like, did you bring your handbook? Did you read your handbook? And they just were like, no, <laughs> we didn't. And everyone laughs at them. It totally sucks that all of the people working at this like afterlife DMV are there because they committed suicide. Oh my God. I totally missed that, Kate. Oh, really? Yes. That's why I rewatch movies a million times. But yeah, I totally missed that <laughs> detail. That's hilarious. Oh, yeah. So they mentioned that like all of the workers there are are people who died by suicide. Oh, my God. You thought you had it bad yeah. in the real life. It's like your version of purgatory. Totally. It's like, oh, you're just a civil servant forever. <laughs> I had wanted to know like how Beetlejuice died originally. And I just came across this note that Burton said that he was also a civil servant. And the reason why he was a civil servant was because he offed himself due to heartbreak. So sad. I love all of the characters in this bureaucrat's office, though. And you can tell by looking at them how they died. They look like their own deaths. <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh. I love this. It's so funny that the Maitlands... Uh, ostensibly like drowned to death right right they should be blue or something they should be blue or maybe wet all the time Murky, or something yeah yeah but yeah, they just look like wet. I was going to give them credit and say oh maybe it's just the civil servants look like this but the people waiting in this office in the queue they also look like how they died we've got that woman who's cut in half <laughs> yeah <laughs> I love choking on chicken <laughs> like sticking out of his neck like who swallows a bone that big <laughs> I know. I love the Miss Argentina who's working the front desk. Oh, she's so cute. I love her so much. I love her green skin and her red hair. And uh, the guy with the shark on his leg, wasn't he kind of blue? I think so. Yeah. So I'm maybe something about the Maitlands, maybe who knows, but it's that Connecticut vibe. Them trying to figure out like what to do as ghosts. I just. Could not get over how incompetent these people are at being ghosts because they have a caseworker who tells them explicitly, do not work with Beetlejuice. And she tells them, <laughs> she gives them details where she's like, he's a bad person and he will just use you to be unleashed onto the world. Do not summon him. She's so, so clear. And they try to do their own haunting for like a day I like, like no time and then they're just like okay Beetlejuice <laughs> come help us I have a contradictory opinion on the caseworker I mean obviously she's very busy right she mm -hmm. doesn't have time for this nonsense they've only been dead what two months I think yeah it's, when it's they... only been a couple months and I didn't think she was very clear Kate I didn't think so at all. Maybe if they had read the manual. They should have read the manual. Yeah. Maybe yeah. like her just saying like, oh, don't do that. Plus whatever details would have been in the manual would have helped. She tells them to get the deets out themselves, but she doesn't tell them how or give them any real ideas or here's how other people have done it. She doesn't say what will really happen when Beetlejuice comes. She's just like, don't do it. He'll, here's what he did to me. I, I didn't think she was clear enough. <laughs> and then she just disappears into a cloud of smoke. And they're like, what the fuck? <laughs> and what do they get? Like three visits for the next 125 years? Yes. 
<laughs> Which seems accurate for public service. <laughs> oh my God. She's drowning in clients anyway. I mean, people die all the time, right? Like she doesn't have time for this. And she's probably got especially less time for people who don't put in the effort to read, read the manual. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I mean, she's able to like ask them things like, Oh, have you tried looking scary? And then they're like, What do you mean? And I was like, There's gotta be a chapter on this. There's no way that there's not. I thought it was interesting the way time slips when you're either in the death world or you're out with the sandworms. Mm. Anytime you're not in your reality of home, time is like all over the place and it's not consistent. You don't know how long you're really going to be gone. I love that too because it feels like if there were ghosts, that's how it would be is you're not tied temporarily to this plane anymore yeah time doesn't really mean anything anymore I feel like what I'd want to do is go hide out in the sandworm world or go hide out in the death world until 125 years pass and then move on to whatever's next Ah, the sandworm world though is spooky I mean I thought that it was scary terrifying as a kid And as an adult, I was like, I still don't like this. (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't want to be there. (laughs) But it's cool how Gina Davis gets to ride the sandworm. It's her little dune moment. Yes, it is very dune-like, isn't it? Totally. I'm sure that's what he was thinking. (laughs) I mean, I was like, how often were giant sandworms coming up in like (laughs) literature and media? I feel like there's a little heyday for it. I think it's also interesting how only weird people can see you. What's the rule? Like, what makes somebody weird enough to see a ghost? Because I think Delia's pretty weird. I don't know. And I think that this is where, like, the movie's trying to criticize Delia by showing, like, oh, look at her. She looks and acts like a certain way, but she can't see these ghosts, even though she really wants to. (laughs) She really wants to be like, these are my ghosts. Lydia can. Is it just, like having extra perception or is it around like being more open to that kind of thing I don't know I don't think that it's super clear it's not but I don't hate that about this movie I like how everything is kind of loose I do too it it makes it feel less serious like there's not as many rules yeah yeah the only rule is don't say Beetlejuice three times or you'll summon Beetlejuice or put him away yeah And then later, Gina Davis goes, home, 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 and it takes her home. So it's kind of (laughs) like whatever you're going for in this world, you can get there if your mind is, I don't know, in the right place or thinking about it hard enough. It kind of just seems like the rules adapt to who's using them a little bit. What did you think of the music in this movie? Oh, I was just going to go there. I love the music. I love how even when the house is pre-deets, the music is still weird. Like the Mm. way they use strings is really creepy. And then the banana boat song is tossed in for fun. I like the music. Of course, it's Danny Elfman. Uh, A little offbeat, a little funky. I think it's super fun. I just really like the music that they used. And then the two songs that they end up lip syncing to, the Deo, Deo song is mentioned, and then the Shake Senora song. Um, I mean, 
what even are these songs? I never heard these. <laughs> I had never heard songs like this before yeah. when I was a kid, of course. And I think even as an adult, it's like we only ever know <laughs> like these Harry Belafonte songs like from this movie. Yeah. I And I don't get tired of these songs. I, I could listen to these songs at any point and they're still so good. So originally, Kate, they were not going to go with this song. The songs were almost here. Just use this. Like that's sort of how it felt. Hmm. So originally for this scene, they were going to use If I Didn't Care by the Ink Spots, which was another oldie kind of song and very unenergetic, very different. Uh, and it's like a it's like a love song. And then for the end, they wanted to do the original When a Man Loves a Woman. These songs are so much more fun and so much better. Yes, <laughs> so much better. So the Banana Boat song was sung by Harry Belafonte. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have to I have to shout this out. He uh, was on the Colgate Comedy Hour <gasps> in 1955 to perform it. What? Oh, my gosh. I love For it. For all you, I think you should leave fans out there. Oh, my goodness. I love it. What a good little detail. <laughs> Yeah, it's. I mean, it's a song about um, poorly paid people harvesting bananas and putting them on boats, and it's such a perfect song for this scene. It's it's just such a classic scene. I I absolutely love the scene. I look forward to it every time I watch this movie. I do too, and I like how even in the movie, like people get enjoyment from it. They're being possessed or something is like happening to them, but it's like a blast. They're like. I want to do that again. They love it so much. <laughs> I love how the the uh, Maitlands run up to the top to look at them all screaming. And it's like, why would they run away screaming? Like, it was weird, but it was fun. Like, you didn't make them do anything terrible. Yeah. So we've talked about the cast in, like, kind of a roundabout way. I mean, like, Catherine O'Hara as Delia is so fabulous. And Michael Keaton is incredible, of course. But we haven't talked about... Uh, the guys in this movie. Alec Baldwin is in this. I love Alec Baldwin in this movie. I think he's perfect. I agree. I think that this is one of his best roles. Oh my god. (laughs) (laughs) You know he will not watch this movie because he thinks he did such a bad job. Really? Yes! Why? (laughs) What a nut. Yeah, that's so silly. It's so good. It's sad to me to think that he'll never watch this movie. I know that actors get really self-conscious about their movies or just seeing themselves on screen, but I don't get it. I mean, this was a very, very early career performance for Alex, so maybe he's like, oh, I would have done that so much differently, but, like, he's just playing, like, a husband who really loves his wife, and, like, it's just kind of a goofy comedy, like, and he plays kind of a straight man who has to be a ghost. (laughs) It seems like it's such a straightforward role, among a very bizarre set. Uh, It's funny to me that he would choose this movie to never watch again. Right. I mean, this was the third movie he made. That's it? The first film he was in came out in 1987, and this came out in 1988. This is the third movie he was in. And then we have Jeffrey Jones. He He's kind of like a fish out of water in his own family. Where did this guy come from? And why did he marry Delia? Yeah. Does he just have like a thing for like 
art chicks. Like, I mean, was his first wife also like this? And that's why Lydia is also like a little goth girl. Yeah. And uh, exactly. Like, what is his impression that he has made on Lydia? I don't see it. I I guess he's... I wouldn't even say he's calm or particularly nice. I mean, she comes in to tell him about the ghost that she saw and he's like, just get out of here. Why do I have to keep telling you to leave me alone? (laughs) She's trying to tell you something. She's your daughter. He seems kind of like a stereotypical there but not present dad of the 80s. Yes. Where he's like, I just want my throne in my castle Leave me alone so I can read the paper and watch the sports while you do whatever it is that women do. You'll be able to make a decent meal in here finally. I know. Like, do you see who you married? (laughs) I just think it's really funny, though, that he, like, can read and figure out the manual. Yes. (laughs) It's a good joke. so funny. (laughs) Yeah, I guess, like, stereo instructions were particularly gnarly in the 80s. When I remember my first stereo setup I got, it was like, plug this wire in here done it was just so easy so I can't imagine what it must have been like um, because they do compare the book to stereo instruction it might be time for us to go into our favorite jokes and favorite horror moments yes please there are so many it's kind of hard to pick so I had to pick like my favorite of all time yeah there there's quite a few I think on both sides for this movie which is nice I had um pick of the litter for myself anyway for my top three Do you want to go first? Sure. So I will start with comedy. Okay. And my third favorite is when Beetlejuice goes into the Girls, Girls, Girls Lounge in the miniature. I didn't get that joke when I was a kid. I definitely get it as an adult. Um, But even as a kid, I thought it was so funny that they're just kind of like, ew, (laughs) like watching him like kind (laughs) of sashay his way He's like, hey, ladies. He's just such a lech. And like, I love that about him. I, as a kid, I just assumed he was going to go kiss them. Like, they just want to kiss him. And that's also gross because look at him. (laughs) Yeah, I just thought that he wanted to like hang out and be like kind of like gross around a bunch of girls, (laughs) which is probably still true. My second was the dinner party sing along. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I'm sure that that was one of yours, too. because Yes, it was also my second. So I'm just going to I'm just going to tag on. My number one was the running joke of them not reading anything, not being able to read anything. And in particular, I think that Alec Baldwin's character, Adam, might be a little illiterate (laughs) because (laughs) he misreads the title of Handbook for the Recently Deceased. He reads it as diseased (laughs) and then he can't pronounce Beetlejuice. (laughs) Like he like gets the like thing and he like can't pronounce it when reading it out loud. And it's like driving Beetlejuice crazy. It's just such a good bit that they run through the whole movie. (laughs) Did you notice that the way they spell Beetlejuice's name in the ad is totally different than it's spelled everywhere else. Yes, they spell it like the star. Yeah. Yeah. Um, not like how the movie is spelled. <laughs> I'm wondering why they did that, but I have a feeling it's just to make it easier for people to say and, and memorize. Must be. Yeah. I don't I didn't see any I didn't look it up. I didn't see any <laughs> trivia around that when I was looking it up. I'm trying to imagine moviegoers trying to pronounce Beetle guys 
Beetle Goose or Oh my gosh, remember Dio's, when Les Miserables yeah. came out and like no one everyone were like that French movie. Less Miserables. Yes. <laughs> what were your moments? Yeah, I mean, I had the dinner song in there as well. I the my three I would say aren't in any particular order, but I absolutely love the dinner scene as you do as well. And I wish I could have been part of it. (laughs) If I could be anybody in this movie, it would be Delia so that Mm. I could do that scene and also just be a a crazy person. But on to different jokes. I love the irony of the dog killing the Maitlands with an I break for animals bumper sticker on the back of the car. (laughs) I thought that was very funny. It is good. And very fair. You know, we uh, we kill a lot of animals when we're driving. <laughs> they got to get one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then the third joke that I always laugh at is when Beetlejuice is reading the obituaries for job openings. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's like, oh, I better look at the, uh, the the classifieds, right? And he goes to the obituary <laughs> section. <laughs> what about horror? There are some spooky moments. I had, yes, a number. Like you said, we kind of had our pick of the litter because there's good moments for both. Mine, I'm going to do in no particular order for this one because I feel like they're all pretty good. I had the first time we see that horrible limbo desert. Oh, yeah. Definitely. So scary. I thought when Barb rips her face off in the closet to try and scare them. was so surprising and like I just want to give it credit for like it being like surprisingly scary as a kid that definitely I was like that kind of freaked me out and I was like why don't they see her like none of it clicked with me as a kid (laughs) I forgot about it because now I'm so like used to it and it doesn't scare me anymore (laughs) I love it and then my last one is when Beetlejuice gets full reign to start haunting the house and in particular that super creepy snake banister that is scary that's super scary doesn't he hold up jeffrey jones by his leg i think he does yeah it's yeah interesting how like quickly the tone shifts once beetlejuice is allowed to haunt the people yeah it's like oh he's not going to just scare them out of this house he's going to actually kill all of these people right (laughs) he means business he's not like a casper the friendly ghost like the maitlands are trying to be he's like nope you told me to get him out so i'm gonna do that by any means necessary yeah what were yours okay same thing no particular order and uh i'm gonna start with the lost souls room Mm -hmm. that room man like Imagine tripping and falling into it somehow. I was like, right? Like like they have the door open. And what if the janitor was just like, pop, (laughs) you're in there now. I hate that. I had never thought about (laughs) that that before. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) That's always what I think of. It just makes me think of like Midsommar, right? Like looking over the ledge right before they jump. It's, It's so like treacherous. I feel like just there's a door and you can go get lost forever Mm -hmm. behind it. (laughs) Yes. I also thought the Maitland's changing form during the seance was pretty spooky. Oh, I wasn't expecting that. Yeah, like when they change from themselves into the kind of like desiccated corpses. Yeah. And his jaw falls off and they can't support each other. It's very sad. I was going to say it's tragic. Like watching it, your like heart hurts because like they love each other and then they're just like crumbling. Yeah. Yeah. Totally falling apart. Otho is such a jerk. He puts them in their wedding outfits, right? So it's just like ironic and cruel and really mean and 
what if this could happen in the afterlife and this happens to you? Like these, this couple trying to be friendly and willing to work with this family at the end. And now look what they're doing. It's awful. And they have no control over it. The concept of being like exploited and trapped in the afterlife, like just the concept of an afterlife. And we've talked about the like existential horror of the snow globe effect in other episodes and I was just like oh man this is like what happens to them if they go through with this seance like are they just trapped in this horrible form forever it's just yeah it is a very scary moment and there's that rule in the book about not letting people see you or photograph you Mm -hmm. and this is happening to them. Like, what does that mean? How does that affect their 125 years? Do they not have an afterlife now? Yeah, so many questions went through my head during this seance. Like, what is the end goal of this seance for these people? Oh, man, all these things that I have never even considered. I'm going to have to watch this movie five more times. (laughs) (laughs) You can never watch it too many times, so that's good. The final favorite horror moment And it's not really a moment. It's a bit of a, like the last one where you have to think about a little bit. But the Maitlands coming back to their house and not knowing what's going on. Like they are out of place in their own home, their own town. There's no reflection. They're catching fire. Like what? (laughs) And all there is is this like little dense, complicated manual that they can't even figure out. Yeah, I I just thought uh, the... It's just frightening to think about not realizing that you're dead. You just wake up somewhere. It's almost like being blacked out. And now you're awake in your house and you don't know what the hell happened and everything is weird. It is a living nightmare. There's so many good like existential like concerns in this movie. I mean, it has to deal with death in the afterlife. So naturally, right? Like, yeah. what do you do when you die and you lose sense of <laughs> place and time Well, I think everyone knows how we feel about this movie, but why don't you go ahead and give your approval to watch? This is a well-earned 85% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, Go watch it. Why not? Watch it tonight. Yeah. If you've seen it already, watch it again. It's great. Yeah. It's a great movie. It is full (laughs) of fabulous Halloween costume ideas. Oh, yeah. I love the pinstripes. There's also a couple Easter eggs from Tim Burton, from some of his other movies. Like, I think there's a skeleton face at the top of Beetlejuice's head at the end where he takes over the room Mm -hmm. and uh, turns into, like, a carnival man. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, there's, like, a Jack Skellington head in part of his costuming. Oh, yes. I mean, this is just so fun. Like, if you've watched, like, a bunch of Tim Burton movies to see how his style has evolved from the same place like he has had a very particular vision for a very long time that comes out in his movies I'm a big believer in that kind of like cliche of like a filmmaker's like first first movies are like the movie that they've always wanted to make and I feel like Beetlejuice is kind of like that movie for Tim Burton it's great it's original you won't see anything like it the cast Michael Keaton had a lot of say in the character it's just a very well loved movie from the inside out I highly recommend everyone should see this movie yeah you might not think of this as a traditional horror but it's it's got the spookiness it's got the elements there and I think it's 
kid friendly, <laughs> which you can't say for oh, all definitely. the movies we, we watch. Not this season. <laughs> Beetlejuice says fuck once in this movie, and that's it. He says, nice fucking model, right, before he knocks over the tree. And as a kid, I didn't know that word. It, it was just like he said something, and then he knocked over the model. It was funny. And then he grabs himself. Like I, It was just all funny stuff. When he grabs his crotch, it honks, right? <laughs> yes. It's, it's funny. Like It's all very silly. Yeah, I, I think this is totally fine for kids. Isn't it rated PG? This movie is rated PG. Yeah. And it's got a fuck in it. I didn't even notice that it says fuck in it. Exactly. So yeah. go watch this movie. Let your kids watch it. Yep. It's fine. It's fun for your kids. Fun for grandma. Fun fun for everybody. Well, thanks for listening to this episode. We've got a whole bunch more horror comedies coming at you this season. So stay tuned. Join us next week for a mini-sode of Scary Movie, which is actually not scary at all. <laughs> And is it a comedy? It is, I guess. I guess we'll see. (laughs) This was Not Quite Dead. Check out our other episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at Not Quite Dead Podcast and on Twitter at NQD underscore podcast. Follow our blog for bonus content at notquitedeadpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. And happy watching.